We have two short psalms today, Psalm 133 and 134, and they are the concluding psalms in this group of the psalms of ascent. Started in Psalm 120 and will end in Psalm 134. Both of these psalms are only three verses long, but that doesn't mean they don't have a good good content in it. And in Psalm 133... It's a psalm of David, by the way. And remember, the psalms of ascent were were quoted by people as they were traveling to Jerusalem to attend the feasts. <clears throat> but this psalm deals with unity and the pleasantness of unity. Matthew Henry, in his introduction to Psalm 133, wrote this. <clears throat> this psalm is a brief Economum on unity and brotherly love, which, if we do not see the miseries of discord among men, we should think needless. <laughs> That's an interesting, interesting way to do it. If we should not see the miseries of discord among men, we should think needless. But we see the discord and the miseries of discord among men everywhere. But as all of us know, brothers who dwell in unity is the exception, not the rule. David, in the course of his reign, knew firsthand of the pleasantness of unity and the discord and the chaos of disunity. For example... During his reign, he had times of success and unity. And we can go to 2 Samuel 8 and 9 and see that. But there were also times of treason. One son killing another of his sons. How would you like to have that? You have all these sons and one of them kills the other one. And then, the one son rising up taking your throne away and causing civil war. We find this in Second Samuel 13, 15, 16, and 17. There was lots of times of disunity for David. <clears throat> in the three verses of Psalm 133, J.J. Perone said this, Nowhere has the nature of true unity, that unity which binds men together, not by artificial restraints, but as brethren of one heart, been more faithfully described, nowhere has it been so gracefully illustrated as in this short ode. What's it say? Let's read Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. A few things to note about this psalm. Dwelling in unity is more than just the absence of quarreling. For all of you that have had children and they happen to quarrel, 
when they stop quarreling, that doesn't mean they're in unity. That just means it's silent for a while. <clears throat> and this is what Jesus, uh, dwelling in unity includes a oneness. And this is what Jesus was referring to in his prayer with the Father in John eleven or John seventeen eleven, when Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. One in unity. And this is also the picture of marriage found in Ephesians 5. And we cannot do that, or we cannot bring about unity on our own. Our sin, our pride, our personal goals, our personal desires, our personal wants get in the way, and they get in the way constantly. Now, the unity is pictured by the running down of precious oil to the beard and then down to the collar. And finally, it is pictured by the dew on Mount Hermon. Now, in the ancient Middle East, it was common to anoint one heads with one's head with oil. Sometimes as a greeting entering a home to refresh the one receiving the oil. So you go to someone's house and you'd anoint their head with oil. And a good, it would also give a good smell of the fragrance that came from the perfumed oils. In running down to the beard, the picture is that it is rich and abundant. It goes, it goes down. We anoint them. Now we don't have... A similar illustration today. You go to someone's house, they don't walk in the door and anoint your head with oil. But I don't think we can really appreciate a lot of the smells that existed in the ancient world. You know, if you just look at how cities were constructed and you had the the sewer path going down, you know, flowing down out of the city into the into the dump and that's where Gehenna gets its name. I mean it's 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 different today, so we can't really appreciate that. But his, this is a picture of a rich and abundant blessing. The first illustration is like that the oil was poured upon the head of Aaron, who was the high priest. And Matthew Henry in his talking about this, he said this illustration shows a few things. First, this ointment was holy. So must our brotherly love be holier with a pure heart, devoted to God. 1 John 5.1 states this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So we have a love for the Father, and that produces a love for those who love the Father. There's that oneness. <clears throat> he also says the ointment was a composition made up by a divine dispensatory. That's the word he used. God appointed the ingredients and the quantities. The, thus, believers are taught of God to love one another, and it is a grace working in us. The third thing he says, that it was a very precious ointment. It was not to be made for common use. Thus, holy love is, in the sight of God, a great price. 
It is precious indeed, which is also in God's sight. He also said it is grateful to both Aaron himself and to all about him. So when you pour the oil, the aroma went and everyone could appreciate that. He says, so is holy love. It is like ointment and perfume which rejoice the heart. Christ's love to mankind was part of that oil of gladness with which he was anointed above his fellows. And then he said, Aaron and his sons were not to administer the oil unto the Lord until they were anointed with that ointment. So when they were in doing their work, they needed to be anointed first. And then he went on and said, Nor are our services acceptable to God without his holy love. We cannot honor and worship God in and of ourselves. If we don't have God's love in us, we are, as as 1 Corinthians says, nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 said, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So the oil that flowed down from the beard to the collar, because it starts out, he says, verse 2, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, and on the beard of Aaron running down to the collar of his robes, meant that this blessing was impactful to others. It was not limited to just those in whom there was unity. If we, if we were here with a bunch of people who are one in Christ and have unity in him, some of that love, some of that unity would spill over. We would see it. And that's what this picture is. There is something that is caught by others who are just around those who truly love each other in the Lord. And similarly, if you walked into a church where there's animosity and bitterness and hatred, (laughs) you can see that pretty fast too. So the picture is that unity refreshes and makes a pleasant atmosphere. The second image says in verse 3, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So this is the second image of dew falling on Mount Zion. Now, now the physical dew needed to make the uh, was needed to make the land green, and the mountains green and moist. One commentator said, "On this mountain, the dew is very copious. So physically, on Mount Hermon, they have a copious amounts of dew." And he said, "With this dew, even in dry weather." Their tents were as wet as if it had rained the whole night. So in verse 3, the picture is that the brothers who dwell in unity bring abundance and blessings, as numerous as the drops of dew. If this unity brings abundance, disunity tears away from that abundance and basically makes it non-existent. 
Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about and bringing up examples of living in disunity. You probably have many personal ones that you could bring up yourself. Both in a family and in a church setting. I would guess that each of us has experienced this more than once. People torn apart and bitterness is everywhere. And unfortunately, we have ample examples. Is it simplifying it too much to say it's joy? Because when you were talking about what you see when Christians to get together and observe, there's this joy that's present among them. I think joy would be a byproduct of the okay. unity. Okay. Yeah, joy would be a byproduct of the unity, for sure. Caring for one another, um, that love that you have for one another, mm-hmm. I'll be there. Boyce commented, he said, Unity is certainly more noticeable by its absence than its presence today. He goes on to point out that one great hindrance to unity, and I thought this was interesting that he wrote this, and he wrote this mm, 30 years ago or so. One of the greatest hindrances to unity, he wrote, is the goal of self-fulfillment. A focus on self rather than on others. And we have that in our world. First John has several commands that will guide us. That will guide us away from that current cultural mindset. Because we have a cultural mindset that's that's focused on self. And these verses are, I have them listed in your, in your notes. 1 John 3.11 This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23 Love one another just as he has commanded us. 1 John 4.7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And 1 John 4.12 If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. It wouldn't be a bad idea just to kind of read those verses over every day for a couple weeks. And as we meet as a church, and as we meet fellow believers, which includes spouses and stuff, love one another. We need to pray and work for unity within the body, not at the expense of doctrinal accuracy. There are people who call themselves Christians and they have tried to bring all these multiple belief systems together and the result is doctrinal chaos and not truth. Spurgeon summarized it this way. Never shall we know the full power of the anointing And this is talking about the anointing of God, not the new apostolic reformation garbage on anointing. 
Never shall we know the full power of anointing till we are of one heart and of one spirit. Never will the sacred dew of the spirit descend in all its fullness till we are perfectly joined together in the same mind. Never will the covenanted and the commanded blessing come forth from the Lord our God until once again we shall have, quote, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Lord, lead us into this most precious spiritual unity for thy son's sake. Amen. We need that. We constantly need that. I'm not saying that we're not unified here in this room today. We constantly have to be aware of that and loving one another in, always, in any way possible. And that gets us back to Psalm 133. We read it again from the top. Below, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's a nice little psalm. It's a nice little psalm and something that we can learn from. And we need to pray that in this church and in our lives and in our home, that we dwell with our brothers in unity. Now we come to the last of the Psalms of Ascents. Psalm 134. <clears throat> John Stott wrote in a book called Christ the Controversialist. I don't know, they get great big old words. Anyway, Christ the Controversialist, he published this in 1970, by the way. Quote this. Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity by which man, by the grace of God, is capable. I had to read that a couple of times, and I kind of liked it the more I read it. Christians believe that true worship is the highest and noblest activity by which man, by the grace of God, is capable. If we dwell in unity, like we were just talking about, that's a form of worshiping God. We're doing it out of worship to God. Now, whether or not it's the absolute highest or noblest can be discussed. But regardless of where you may place it in the priority list, it's up there. At least one of the highest and noblest of any activity that we can be involved in. Let's read Psalm 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. There are many hymns, and we could open up the hymn book, and I actually did, that we have our hymn book here, but there could be found in other hymn books, that are solely focused on the proper worship of God. A couple that came to my mind that are in our hymnal are praise to the Lord the Almighty. 
And then there's praise my soul, the King of heaven. We praise thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator. One that a lot of you like made me one of your favorites. How great thou art. And then the last one, I would say, I probably like it better than all those, but those are all good, is to God be the glory. They focus on worshiping God. Now sadly, as we look at the typical church today, those that pursue more of a seeker-sensitive agenda, the focus is much more on man than on the worship of God. And this is reflected in the titles alone. I went out and looked. In 2021, popular Christian songs, the descriptions are made uh, in, in, in an article written on September 2021 and states that these songs that they had listed have sold at least 8.5 million copies at the time of the writing. So they're popular songs. The article also states, Christian music has changed over time, and now the top Christian songs are sounding more like rock or rap music today. They're right. So, the one song that's very popular on this list, the name of the song is You Say. I don't know this song. I don't know any of them, thankfully. I don't want to go listen to them. Called You Say. And the description of this song, it says, This song has a powerful message. It has been known to give listeners strength when they are going through some things in their lives. Well, a lot of songs could do that. They don't have to even bring the word God in, right? There's another song called Holy Water. This is very, now these, are, these songs are, sell, are the ones selling eight and a half million copies. And, it, and, the, and the description says, it is a powerful song and the band is a close-knit family band. There's another song called The Blessing. Get this. This 12-minute song is filled with emotions. The Elevation Worship Music features, that should be a clue that it's a mess right there with Elevation Music, but this Elevation Worship Music features instrumentals that can cause you to cry tears of happiness and salvation. How do you cry tears of salvation by listening to music? Because the instrumentalists are doing well. There's another song called Nobody. That's the full name of the song. It says, this song is full of excitement and happiness and uplifting. It has a great melody along with its message. And then there's one called Sea of Victory. It says, this is an older song being released in 2019, but it is great. This song encourages people to choose Jesus Christ as they worship every day. You see the change in focus from praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation, to nobody, a song full of excitement and happiness and uplifting, and it has a great melody. And we could cite a ridiculous number of examples, but you get the point. The focus is not on where we see the focus of Psalm 134, which is lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Now we need to be careful here. 
we sing songs that talk about what God has given to us. Somewhere, if you look at how songs have evolved, Christian songs, in the beginning uh, to the kind of middle to the late 19th century, mid-1800s, there were a lot of songs written that spoke to the testimony of the writer. And we sing a lot of them. In the years before that, songs were more focused on God. But the testimonial songs got to be very popular all the way through mid to late 1950s, 60s, somewhere in there. And they still are some today, but in a couple examples, you probably have heard this song, A New Name in Glory. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. It was written in the late 1800s or early 1900s, talking about the testimony they have. All your anxiety, all your cares, bring to the mercy seat, leave it there. In the 19, we written about 1920. You've probably heard the song, I Need Thee Every Hour. It's a more of a testimonial song about 1872. The point is, there are a lot of psalms that deal with a lot of topics. But all of them need to point away from man to a worship of God. So if we sing, I need thee every hour, it needs to be the focus is on God, not God, you got to help me. It's God, I need you. That's the difference. But it's gotten all skewed. A.W. Tozer taught, quote, Basic beliefs about God have changed so much that there are among us now men and women who find it easy to brag about the benefits they receive from God without ever a thought or a desire to know the true meaning of worship. And he wrote that in 1962. Most of us would look back 60 years and be tempted to think that the church worshipped God much better at that time than what we have now in our current worship services. And we see how far the worship standards have changed since then. And they were not pristine then by any means. How far have worship services fallen? Just one of of numerous, numerous possible examples. I had to come, I had to bring this or something like it today. In December of 2022, we're talking less than a month ago, a church of 8,000 people in Coral Springs, Florida, immediately after a a rendition of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, they demonstrated how creative and relevant they are. They performed a modified version of Bow Wow Wow's I Want Candy with the Willy Wonka theme, Seamlessly interchanging between mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth with, I know a guy who's tough and sweet, he's so fine he can't be beat. I want candy, I want candy. Their pastor stated this, Welcome to this. I don't know what to call this anymore. I really don't. The team does such a great job. Give it up for our creative people if you would thank you guys for making this so much fun. He went on to say, 
I guess technically we'd call it a service. It is a worship service. That's kind of short for worship service or service, our Christmas service. But it's an experience. It's a Christmas experience. It's now an event. In fact, I love my friends who don't do church a lot. The last few years they say, David, what time are your Christmas shows? What time of your Christmas shows? And I used to, and, and it used to be I try to reframe it with no, it's actually worship. Guess what? It's a show. And this is the preacher saying this. Guess what? It's a show. Yes. Welcome to our Christmas show. And if you're deeply spiritual and that offends you, like we shouldn't have a show, no, we should have a show. The church, and he goes on, I'm going to complete in just a second here. The church should have a show. Every weekend we should have a show. I'll tell you why. For my super spirituals right now, don't log off. Because Jesus promised in Matthew's gospel that any time two or three or more would gather in his name, he would show. And then he stops. Well, first of all, you can't take that verse more out of context. And that's he's bragging about this. There's no worship of God. That's what it's gone to. And this church is, I mean, like I say, 8,000 people go to this church. It's in Coral Springs, Florida. If you go there, make sure you do it for uh, purposes of, of, of not going to a show, but purposes of getting, getting good, good fodder for, for something you're going to write. But and, and this is not the only one. I tried to find a John MacArthur quote, and I looked many times. I've read it many times, but I couldn't find it. He said, if you want to know what worship is like, go to a church service, turn on the lights, turn off all the fog machines, take all the, take all the people up front that are singing, take their mics out, and just sing, and see how that sells. No, you know, it, now, that doesn't mean you can't have people up front helping to help you worship. But the point is, it's gotten so far out of hand. It's so far out of hand. James Boyce wrote, Millions of believers have forgotten what true worship is, and many churches have abandoned it entirely. The church in Coral Springs has abandoned it entirely. This is light years away from Psalm 134, 1 and 2. And the thing is, people are drawn to it. It is much easier to go to a show and to be entertained as opposed to gathering at a service to worship and bless the Lord. To give Him praise and honor. That doesn't sell tickets. Going to a show does. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. As we said, this is the last of the Psalms of Ascent. And 
for many, this may be the pinnacle of the Psalms of Ascent. The first one, Psalm 120, began in a distant land. 121 dealt with the first sight of Jerusalem. 121, there was, uh, there was the standing in the, or 122, there was the standing in the city gate. And from there, the Psalms of Ascent moved to reflecting on God's grace, his presence and blessing, to unity and the joyful worship of those appointed to serve him in the temple. Each one of the Psalms of Ascent is worshipful. But the last one is focused totally on worshiping God, the climatic psalm of this section. And for your information, the next 16 psalms we have, 135 to 150, all have worship as a main emphasis. So the worship of God is going to continue. In verse 1 it says, All you servants... This is not limited to those who are just serving in the temple, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. It applies to all those who work in the temple, all those who have made their way to Jerusalem to worship God for the festivals. Everyone. Matthew Henry wrote, It is a call to us to do it. As Christians, we are made priests of, to our God and Levites. Isaiah sixty-six twenty-one. It says, we are the servants of the Lord and we have a place and a name in his house. In his sanctuary we stand before him to minister to him. Even by night we are under his eye and we have access to him. Let us therefore bless the Lord and again bless him. Think and speak of his glory and goodness. Let us lift up our hands in prayer, in praise, in vows. Let us do our work with diligence and cheerfulness and and an elevation of mind. This exhortation is ushered in with a behold, a note commanding attention. Come, let us bless the Lord. Look about you. This, uh, he, he's concluding. Look about you, sirs, when you are in God's presence and conduct yourself accordingly. Now, why do we, why do we struggle with properly worshiping God. Because we all do. There are multiple factors. And this won't be a complete list. They all impact us some. First of all. We live in an age of entertainment. Even our phones are crowded with games to play. And they get played a lot. Per this site called eMarketer. The average user spends 23 minutes playing games on their mobile phones every day. And it's estimated that there are 3.7 billion, with a B, mobile players worldwide in 2023. 3.7 billion people spending an average of 23 minutes a day. We live in a world of entertainment. Per another site called Statistica, the average person watches television worldwide 2.75 hours a day. It's entertainment. In general, entertainment does not engage the mind in critical thinking. And you're watching Star Trek, you're not being too critical thinking, right? Or any of these other shows. 
It's a form of escape, and it shows our goals, our priorities. We want to get back and just escape. So we are living in an age of entertainment, and if we don't think that has seeped into our pores, it has. The other thing is we are self-centered. This is brought out by the entertainment we just discussed. Look at the large number of commercials that make promises about their product. Those promises that will beat or exceed our wants, our desires, our needs. And the commercials are written in a manner, in that manner, because they work. And probably the an, a, another thing, the third thing, is I said, I, we do not spend adequate time reading God's word and learning about God. For the Christian News Network, in July 24th of 2020, among professed Christians, the frequency of Bible reading was reported as 3% read their Bible more than four times a week. 10% read it several times a week. 9% read their Bible one time a week. 9% one time per month. 8% three or four times a year, and 34% of professed Christians never read their Bible. Boy, but they're on their cell phones playing games. They're watching TV 2.75 hours a day. We do not spend adequate time reading God's Word and learning about God. And then the last thing we do not revere God as we have failed to give him the proper place with our time and in our lives. We all need to really think that through. I do. To revere God. As we revere God, it's much easier to come bless the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. In the book called Disciplines of a Godly Man, written in 1921, we read, The common assumption of today's Christendom is that worship is primarily for us to meet our needs. Such worship services are entertainment-focused, and the worshipers are uncommitted spectators. And we could add that in a multiple of churches... There are a multitude of searches. This focus is not just stopped with the music. It is also the focus of the messages and the sermons that people listen to. It's just not music. It's everything that's there. The result is a huge number of people sitting in church don't worship God. They're not learning about him. They're not reading his word. Therefore, they are miles away from the true worship of Almighty God. How do we reverse this trend in a person's life? Well, <clears throat> I think, again, these are, these are ideas I came up with. You could probably add three or four to this. First of all, follow verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 134. Lift your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Second, we need to gain a solid understanding of God and revere Him appropriately. 
And this is done by reading his word, studying his word, and talking to him in prayer. Go to him in prayer on a regular basis. If nothing, just to thank him for who he is. And then the last thing, praise God in corporate worship. And if you find in this church that the music you think is becoming too self-centered for whatever reason, bring it up to somebody. We need to make sure we don't have self-centered worship here. It's worship to God. It's so easy to get that focus the other way because that's the trip. And as we do those things, we can read verse 3 of Psalm 134 with thankfulness and confidence. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Is there a better thing to hope for than the blessings of the creator of the heaven and earth? Ephesians 1.3 states it very well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, God has blessed us. But notice where we are to focus. Not on the blessings He has provided because it says here in Ephesians 1.3 He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. But where's our focus? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our focus. We must never lose sight of that. To bless God. And to praise God. And to worship God. And boy, that's just the opposite of everything we see. So, going back to read Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. Let's pray.